Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we're releasing a bonus episode. These are two different media appearances that I have given recently and been hosted on, and each was about 30 minutes, and each was kind of a similar topic, and so I thought it made a lot of sense to combine these two into one bonus episode that's about an hour long, which is obviously the length of most of our episodes anyway. So part one of this bonus is my appearance and presentation at the Carnivorathon, I have the hardest time saying that, (laughs) which was a 24-hour live live stream hosted by Stephen Thomas and Richard Smith. You may remember Stephen Thomas. We interviewed him back on episode 394. And Richard, more recently, we interviewed him on episode 505. The Carnivore-a-thon <laughs> was, on, uh, was done and recorded on July 9th, 2023. This was such a huge honor to be a part of as it was the first time I've been invited to be a presenter at a conference like this. Normally when I'm attending health conferences, I'm just an attendee. And so to actually present something I thought was just absolutely amazing. Now, I maybe misunderstood um, what they wanted as far as a presentation as I was listening to some of the interviews from the amazing guests that went on before me. It was really more like an interview style where I came with slides and was ready to pretty much kind of talk the whole time and present my slides over YouTube. And um, so, yeah, again, I don't know if I did the presentation correctly or not. Another challenge I had while doing the presentation was the platform that they were using wouldn't allow me to see them as long as I had slides that I was presenting. And so when you can't read somebody's face or... um, see their reaction to things. It can make things really challenging as far as communication. So you might hear I'm pausing a few times to see if people have questions because I I can't really read their faces. I don't know if they're even still uh, tuned in or not. So anyway, I was hugely honored to be a a presenter there. Um, Obviously with with this just being audio, you won't be able to see the slides. If you want a copy of them, you can reach out to me. Just send me an email at train, T-R-A-I-N, at myboundlessbody.com. And I would be more than happy to send those your way so that you have a bit of a visual for that. Uh, And then part two is going to be a recent appearance that I made on the Carnivore Muscle YouTube channel with Jonathan Griffiths over in the United Kingdom. Um, The episode is called Carnivore Made All the Difference. You may remember Jonathan's name, Jonathan Griffiths, from episode 432. I actually um, not only hosted him on Boundless Body Radio, but he was the presenter at Carnivorathon who tossed over to me. So we got to see other and say hi uh, for a minute there, which is great. Um, Jonathan asked a lot of different questions that I haven't been asked before, and so I really wanted to include them today. And also, he posts everything on YouTube and doesn't necessarily do everything on an audio-only format. So I always love it when I can take some of the YouTube content and bring it over here so it can live in podcast land in the audio world. So um, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. It was an honor to appear on both of these shows, and I think you'll really enjoy the content. So thank you, as always always for listening to Boundless Body Radio. Um, If you haven't already, make sure you leave us a rating and review on Apple so that our our show can continue to grow and we can get these important messages and conversations out to more people. And with that said, here is the bonus episode, starting with my appearance on the Carnivore-a-thon. Right, Casey, introduce yourself to the 
the broader public who don't know who you are. Yeah, hello, hello. Like I said, that was a very enjoyable hour. I would much rather listen to Jonathan and Dr. Baker talk for an hour than I would listen to myself for 30 minutes. It was awesome to hear those guys. I love them both. I've hosted them both on my podcast. My name is Casey Ruff. I'm a personal trainer and nutrition coach. I have been certified as a personal trainer since March of 2007. Um, I am the host of Boundless Body Radio, which is a podcast that I started in October of 2020. We um, now have over 500 episodes. We release episodes every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, and we're generating over 300,000 downloads. I, I guess we've generated 300,000 downloads in the course of running the show, which has been fantastic. Steve and I've had the pleasure of hosting you. Rich, I'd love to host you sometime on the show as well. And uh, yeah, I'm the co-founder with my wife of a, a personal training company called Boundless Body. We started our company in the pandemic when our corporate gym kind of went away and the program that I was managing um, also went away, which was dealing with measuring people's metabolic rates. And so um, that's kind of what I wanted to present on today and I've got some interesting slides. I don't often get to show people this kind of thing. And so I've got some visual aids that might kind of help people understand. And I think it's quite relevant from what we just heard from Jonathan about how we use our calories, how our metabolism works. And Rich, exactly what you said, how do we become really good at what we should be really good at, which is burning fat. Uh, fortunately, with over a decade of working on a metabolic cart, I got a front row seat as to see like what would actually happen when people started changing their diets. And uh, yeah, so lots of really cool results because of that. Well, should we dive into your presentation? I think it's great that you've come with a presentation. If and, I uh, can let's go for it. figure uh, it out, then absolutely. <laughs> I practiced, but I realized I practiced on Zoom. Um, so it's a little bit of a different platform, but I think we can make it work here. Uh, well, I don't know how live stream works in, in any way different to Zoom, so you should be all right. I think we should be good. And we've already got a message. Ooh, slides. Lovely. Able to see that? So, yeah. Can you share? I can't see anything. Can't see anything? No. Can you see anything, Richard? No, I think you have to okay at your end, um, Steve, is it? How do I do that? Oh, I don't know. Did, did you do it with me? So I think, Casey, what you need to do is, is go to present at the bottom. I did that. Click on that and then select the screen. Select the screen that you want to share. So next oh, to your, your face at the bottom left, there should be another one. Click that, and then Steve should be able to, to ah, share there that. Ah, we go. Yes, yes. Add it to the stream. Here we go. Excellent. Oh, yeah. Ooh, I like it. Okay, we're able to see that. Yes. Okay. Brilliant. Excellent. So I, I, as I started my career as a personal trainer, um, it was pretty soon after I'd started as a trainer that my manager realized I knew a lot about heart rate monitors with my background in cycling. And so they um, basically trained me to run what is called metabolic assessments, metabolic tests. And basically we would use something called a metabolic cart, which you can kind of see here. You would hook up to um, a mask on somebody and um, basically whether they were resting or whether they were doing some form of exercise and slowly ramping up, we would be able to measure a few different things, um, which is kind of cool when we're talking about the breath, the breath really holds a lot of secrets as to how many calories we're burning at a given time. So that's primarily what we would do for the resting test is measure how quickly somebody would burn a certain amount of calories. Um, and then with what we call the active metabolic test, we would be able to tell how that would change as somebody was ramping up their heart rate. Basically it's like a VO two test. If you're familiar with that, or you've seen that happen at a gym or on a Gatorade commercial or something like that. So it was pretty cool. I was able to, uh, measure people's metabolic 
crates. And if this looks very antiquated, it's because it absolutely is. This was the kind of information that we would present to people, especially when I was first getting started back in 2007, where the number of calories that you would eat would be a direct correlation with the calories you would burn. Therefore, everything for weight management would come down to a formula, right? Has anybody ever done this <laughs> and, and found out that it actually doesn't really work? Um, there's 3,500 calories in a pound of fat. And so by the math of things, if we measured your total metabolic rate, the total number of calories that you would burn in a given day with exercise and with the lifestyle you have, whether you're you know working at an office job or you're shucking boxes at UPS, if you just took that number and and ate 500 calories less than that in one week, seven days, that would add up to that 3,500 calories. And so we would find that people would lose one pound per week. And you would just continue to do that, lose one pound per week, one pound per week, one pound per week, until you reached your weight goal. Um, again, has anybody ever noticed that that works in a sustainable way? <laughs> It's, it's, it's ridiculous. We, we notice that this happens. I love that this says fad diet transformation, which to me, a fad diet is the diet that most people are prescribed, the standard American diet. It's a fad. And yes, you can lose weight. You can lose weight by dropping your calories down, but there is an after impact where you end up gaining the weight. And if we go back to this number, we just assume that this number here, this resting energy expenditure number is always going to stay static. It's always going to stay the same. And if that were the case, then yes, we could probably treat this like a math problem, get people to lose all the weight that they needed to um, just by you know measuring the calories and making sure that people were eating the certain right amount of calories that put them in a caloric deficit. The problem is this number changes. This number is not the same. The resting energy expenditure number will drop. If you start eating less calories, you will teach yourself to burn less calories. And then we would see a drop in this number. And that's why most diets end up failing. And like I said, we get this kind of effect. So I'll pause there to see if anybody has any questions so far. Good so far? Are you talking in the yeah. chat? I'll, I'll get no, if you guys have any questions, we're fine. Oh, okay. no, we're, we're fine. Okay, excellent. Yeah. So the other, test, the other test that we would run would be called an active metabolic test. And this would show as somebody is ramping up as far as their heart rate and intensity, we would show how many calories somebody would be burning in each one of their unique heart rate zones. So what you see here is just an example. This wouldn't necessarily apply to the, the average person watching. These are all very unique and individual, but we would show how as you work harder during exercise, you will burn more and more calories. And I think that's pretty intuitive for most people. If you're doing a really hard workout in 30 minutes, you would be burning more calories than say another person who is maybe just doing a really easy workout, maybe just going on a walk. And yes, the harder you work, you can see as the heart rate goes up and you move through all the zones one through five, you, you are burning more calories. That's certainly the case. But if you look to the far right, you're going to see percentage splits between what fuel you are actually burning between fat and carbohydrates. And that's what our metabolic carts were able to tell us is not just the total number of calories that somebody was burning, but also where are those calories coming from? Are you burning fat or are you burning carbohydrates as your primary fuel source? And as you ramp up your intensity during exercise, you are literally burning a smaller and smaller and smaller percentage of fat for your energy and burning a much greater percentage of your energy from carbohydrates. Now, when I was a cyclist, this is uh, also when I kind of started my career as a personal trainer, um, you know, we were brought up on the notion that every endurance athlete needed tons of carbohydrates. You had 
to have carbohydrates. I would eat before I went on a race. I would stuff my jersey pockets with all kinds of goos and gels and all kinds of crap like this. Like, this is what my diet looked like, you know, 10, 15 years ago when I was racing competitive cycling. And this is what we were told to do. Lots of pasta, lots of bread, the oatmeal before the ride. Those, oh man, I remember the the kind of like really way too ripe bananas going kind of nasty in your Jersey pocket, like on a hot day and like trying to pull that out and snack on it on a ride was so gross. And that was what we were told to do. And so we really didn't know any better when you are working at a very high rate, you're burning lots of carbohydrates and carbohydrates tend to run out. So you want to top them off as you are exercising, essentially, especially at those high intensities. And that's all I knew for a very, very long time. And I didn't really understand looking at these, you know, heart rate zones and understanding the percentage of fat versus the percentage of carbohydrates that somebody could burn. I really didn't understand that that could be manipulated and that you could actually help people increase the amount of fat that they were burning and thus decrease the amount of carbohydrates that they were burning and why that would be important. And I want to move to this next slide, which in my opinion is one of the most important slides on this presentation. This was taken from a document that I would present to people um, when I was showing them the heart rate zones and how they use calories. When I was training other personal trainers on metabolic carts and how to use these to get great results and interpret the results for their clients, I would make um, the people that I would train stop at this, you know, this diagram here that you see and really spend some time thinking about the implications of what this means. So what you're seeing here is um, the number of calories from carbohydrates that the body stores. So really important to say what we've been talking about so far has been burning calories. Well, this is the other side of things. This is now storing calories. How does the body store its calories? The top number you're going to see is calories from carbohydrates. Now, this is based on the average female, for example. So that number is fixed. Technically, that number can be a few hundred calories higher, a few hundred calories lower, but essentially it means that we have a fixed storage capacity for carbohydrates, and that's based on your muscle mass. So generally speaking, you're going to see that number somewhere around 1,500 calories for carbohydrates that the body has capacity to store. And then if we look at the next number, that those are the calories of fat that this this person is storing based on their weight and their body fat percentage. It's also very interesting to see that that number is 10 times higher, or I'm sorry, hundred times higher of, of stored calories from fat than the calories from carbohydrates. And I do want to point out that this woman that I did this test on, you can see from her picture, she's actually fairly lean. So she's not an overweight person. She has a pretty normal body fat percentage and she still has 110,000 thousand calories of stored fat on the body that can be used for fuel. Now you can see again, if we go back up to the calories from carbohydrates that are stored, that is a top level. That is the maximum number that most females could store. Again, with males, if they got more muscle mass, that number is probably going to be closer to 2000 calories from carbohydrates, but that's it. You can't exceed that level of, of storage of carbohydrates, even if you take in more carbohydrates. So for example, we were always told the night before a race, we needed to carbo load, right? You need to eat more carbohydrates and, and, you know, store up that tank. Well, the problem is, again, that storage capacity is so limited. Best case, the very best case scenario that you can do is fill up that storage capacity. Everything else that you consume that's carbohydrates is going to spill out and be stored in calories from fat. So that's where the body changes the carbohydrates, it switches them in the liver into triglycerides and stores them as calories of fat. And that's why you see that number be so high, over 100,000 calories that this person is storing of fat calories. And just to, just to reiterate, this person was not 
necessarily overweight. They weren't very fat. Like that number can go up and up and up and up. It could be 200,000, 300,000, 500,000. You know, the most obese person you see that might that might be over 600,000 calories of fat that the body is just packing on and packing on and packing on because it simply does not have the capacity to store any more calories from carbohydrates. So I think this is really important to understand how our bodies work and how we can be extremely healthy. Um, before, before I proceed, I'll stop again and just see if anybody has any questions. All good. Keep Excellent. on going. All good for me, Steve. You happy? Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So when we were talking about athletic performance, we, we, we were talking about the, the need of the body for carbohydrates. So if I go back here, let's assume that I am working out in a high heart rate zone. I'm working really hard as a cyclist. I'm pedaling a lot. I'm burning lots of calories of carbohydrates. But we go back here to see that the body does not store endless amounts of carbohydrates, which is why most endurance athletes at some point or another end up learning what it's like to bonk. When you run out of those stored calories from carbohydrates, you're done. And I'd like to have the comparison of a tanker. What if you saw a gasoline tanker pulled off the side of the road? It was carrying unleaded fuel that was completely full all the way up to capacity. Yet the engine of the tanker was a diesel, meaning that the engine was not suited to burn the stored energy in the back of the tank. It only had the small storage space that it has on it with diesel fuel. If that were to run out, how weird and ironic would it be that this tanker is full of fuel that the body is not suited to be able to use? It doesn't know how to use it. The engine is not made for that. <laughs> Again, it's such an interesting example that I think is, is very ironic that shows the fact that we need to teach ourselves to be fat burners. And when we do, we have access to the greatest amount of energy that we can store, which is energy from fat. Like I said, if you are overweight, if you're over fat, the number might be very, very high. Even if you are racing in the Tour de France, which is going on right now, you, you might be almost no body fat percentage. You still have tens of thousands of calories of stored fat that the body can use. And that is an alternative to the carbohydrates. So not only are you teaching yourself to get rid of the fat that you already have, you are saving yourself from burning through all of your calories of carbohydrates so that you can have better and better and better endurance. So I just want to show you what that would look like. Here's an example of the same person who did the same test done at a, at a different interval when they when they started to change their diet and they started to change their workout program. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But you can see the same person over time has taught themselves to burn greater and greater and greater percentages of fat for their fuel. And, and thus, they've also taught themselves to burn less and less and less of the carbohydrates, which is equally as important. I would assume the person on the right would be able to last much longer if they chose to do endurance sport. I would expect them to be leaner since they are burning through the storage of fat, so they could burn that off much easier and have less of the fat. And I would assume that person is also experiencing much less soreness after workouts. I would expect them to feel like they've got much less carbohydrate cravings because they're not burning through all of them. And you can see the difference is like hundreds of calories in an hour that that person is preserving as far as carbohydrates and, and what it's doing for their fat burning capacity. And again, this is through a, a change in the diet, which means reducing the carbohydrates that we are consuming and eating. Obviously I'm partial to a carnivore diet, but lots of fat and lots of protein can help cause this. And it's also by shifting the training to a lower level where you're not overworking. You're not 
pushing yourself up to the highest levels of intensity all the time, you're doing most of your training at a lower intensity, which most people don't like. They don't feel like they're getting the best results when they're working out a little bit easier, but that will teach them how to become more efficient over time. Um, I do have another example of this. You can see how everything has again shifted once somebody has changed their diet, changed their workout program to teach themselves literally to burn more fat and burn less of their carbohydrates for energy. So, so far we have talked a lot about performance, right? This is something that can help endurance athletes. If you are looking to last a little bit longer in your 10 K or your marathon or whatever you're training for, but I also think it's relevant when we start to look at, um, the original test that we first started talking about, which is the resting test. And we're also talking about things like weight loss and fat loss. So this was the original phenomenon that really brought me into the low carbohydrate space. It made me really appreciate what something like a ketogenic or a carnivore diet could do for somebody, especially when it was paired with fasting, when somebody was doing intermittent fasting. This is the phenomenon that I would see, which really broke my brain in the beginning. I couldn't really explain this. What we were used to doing and, and telling people is exactly what we presented in the beginning, that if you eat less calories, yes, that will work for weight loss, but eventually the body will compensate and reduce its resting metabolic rate. And so we would use the resting metabolic rate as an absolute minimum number of calories somebody should ever eat. So you always want to eat more than that. When people started fasting and they started shifting over to higher fat, lower carbohydrate diets, I started to notice that people would come in with a, a predicted burn of the, of the resting metabolic rate where the predicted burn would be hundreds of calories actually less of the number of calories that they were teaching themselves to burn all the time at rest. And I would tell people like, wow, like your metabolism is really good. We're looking at somebody burning 2,600 calories every single day doing nothing. That's a resting metabolic rate. They're just sitting around burning 2,600 calories. That's really amazing. And if you look to the right, you can even see that their, their ratios of how much fat they're burning is through the roof. They're burning 75% of their calories from fat and really minimizing the percentage of calories that they're burning from carbohydrates. This is exactly what we would want to see. And so I would look at these people and say like, wow, like 2,600 calories. This is really good. This is your minimum number of calories that you need to eat so that we can maintain this. And people would look at me so confused. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I can't eat that many calories. What do you want me to do? Like, do you want me to go back to Twinkies and, and drinking soda again? Like I can get that many calories if I have liquid calories maybe. But when I start eating fat and protein and focus on that, I, I can't eat that many calories, like 10 eggs and a pound of ground beef might be sufficient. And that's far less than the metabolic rate would show us, which again was ultra confusing until we realized that when the body has access to stored fat, when you teach the body to burn fat and not burn carbohydrates as the primary fuel source, your metabolic rate will increase. I saw this over and over and over again. And we would also see that somebody would shift their fat burning percentage to be much higher and their carbohydrate percentage to be much lower. Obviously, this is extremely advantageous if you are trying to lose fat. If you want to get rid of fat, this is the way you want to go. You want to really focus your diet around the proteins and fats and drop out the carbohydrates to about as low as you can tolerate. This is why I'm such a fan of the carnivore diet that really answers all the questions anybody needs to know. If you stick with animal products, you will cause this effect to happen in your body. Your body's metabolism will increase and you will burn off fat at a greater rate. We really noticed this quite a bit when we were doing weight loss contests at the gym that I was working at. Um, this guy really changed my life. I'm so grateful that I was able to uh, 
um, do a consultation with him. We sat down in 2018. He was about to do this weight loss contest, which would, was run, which would run for 60 days. And he was kind of telling me that he wanted to lose about 25 pounds. Um, at this point in the picture you're seeing here, it's about halfway through his weight loss journey. He was successful in losing that weight. But he was describing, you know, he was having lots of snacks. He was waking up at two in the morning to eat cereal. And at the time I realized like, okay, you're definitely not eating enough fat at least to get really satiated. And so he started eating more fat. He went away. He, he got really obsessed with the idea of keto diets because he came back to me about two or three days later and said, Hey, I've already lost like two or three pounds. What's this keto stuff? And I was like, well, that's pretty great, but I don't really know. And that kind of started me down this pathway. He was able to finish the contest and do really, really well. We got lots of recognition for, you know, being the trainers that helped get him there. But what we decided to do is we had our own cohort of people that we had to turn over as we were doing these 60 day contests. We were doing them four times a year. What we did, my wife and I, we shifted from giving the materials that the gym was giving to everybody, which was lots of meals, lots of snacks, lots of shopping lists, tons of food prep. We found some low carbohydrate meal plans and we would give these to people and say like, look, we're going to do some free seminars. We'll teach you how this works over time. But for now, just find the recipes that you love, your family loves, Eat them as much as you like. They're low carbohydrate. Find the ones that taste good. Don't count anything. Like Jonathan said, not the biggest fan of counting. And let's just see how things go in this contest. And I just want to show you, this was up until the day that the gym closed when we lost access to everything. Obviously my program got shut down very first, even before the gym did. I wasn't very advantageous during the pandemic to stand uh, next to a treadmill with somebody breathing really hard with respiration um, right next to you. But you can see as we track this, this definitely wasn't like a, you know, a perfectly done study or anything, but we tracked 187 people that did our contest with us where we gave them the low carbohydrate meal plans. We had excellent compliance. We had over 65% of the people go through the challenge and actually weigh out at the end of the contest. And of all of the weight that we measured that was lost, we measured that 98.1 of those pounds that anybody lost doing our, our, our program was coming from fat. I thought that these meal plans would be successful. I thought that they would really help people. And I thought that it would help them understand how to burn fat. But I never dreamed that we would get percentages like this repeatable. And I, I have to point out too, those 126 people, they were across the board. Some were men, some were women, some were old, some were young. People did yoga. Some people wanted to gain weight and they wanted to add muscle. Other people did want to lose fat and wanted to lose weight. But regardless, when we gave them low carbohydrate meal plans that really focused on protein and fat as the intake, we saw tremendous repeatable results. And to this day, even though I don't have access to the same metabolic cart, people that follow these principles are able to achieve wonderful results. If we go back and think about, you know, that the, the slide we showed where we showed the fad diet progression, where people would lose weight and then gain it all back. And then some at the end, this is a way that you can teach yourself literally to become a fat burner. We want to teach you how to burn fat and burn off your own fat and use that as energy. You're basically changing the engine of the diesel tanker and making it to be a hybrid. It can run on the diesel. It can also run on the unleaded and it will not run out. It's able to produce energy for a very, very long time. So if I were to give you a few takeaways from this, I would really recommend that most people really reduce or eliminate their carbohydrates, which means you're left with what we talked about before, fat and protein 
easy way to do that and answer all questions about whether plants are toxic, whether spinach is building up oxalate in your body, go carnivore. It's the only way to tell. And I really love to recommend people, if you don't think you want to commit to a carnivore diet, try one meal. Like one meal of steak and eggs is going to be absolutely delicious and wonderful. And just try that. See how you feel. Are you really full? Are you very satiated? Did you have the need to snack or eat lots of carbohydrates? My guess is no. And if you feel really good, try another one and try another one and try another one. If nothing else, at least start moving in that direction of consuming more fat and more protein. Uh, my second tip would be to strength train and get moving. Movement for most people could be something that's really easy. Um, you know, could be walking, paddleboarding, something that you really enjoy. If you do want to go for performance, I want people to follow what I call the 80-20 rule. So if we go back to these slides where we see heart rate zones, I want people to train at least 80% in their zone one or zone two or below somewhere in that range. And if you're going to do any high intensity work, I want that to be at least 20% less, um, of, of your total amount of what you're doing, um, every single day. If you don't know where your heart rate zones are, that's totally fine. A really great way to calculate what that might be for a really good starting point is using math, um, heart rate calculations. This comes from Dr. Phil Maffetone. He's been doing this for a million years, very, very well. Um, definitely everything that I saw using metabolic carts correlated really well with his equation, which basically means you want to take 180 minus your age and make sure again, following that 80, 20 rule, you're doing at least 80% of whatever work you're doing, um, in those ranges, somewhere close to 180 minus your age. If you don't have a heart rate monitor, that's also okay. We use a self-selected scale called RPE or rate of perceived exertion. You want that to be five out of 10 most of the time when you're doing any form of exercise. So that's a lot easier than what most people assume. Like I said, most people don't like that, but over time you'll teach yourself to do a higher and higher workload, meaning you can run faster, bike faster, all of those things. And then everything else we recommend is, you know, get great sleep, reduce your stress. Um, I put sleep in there twice. So apparently it's really important. Maybe you need a nap. I don't know. You guys don't need a nap because you're going 24 hours. You don't need to sleep in there twice <laughs> and just to enjoy your life and, and not worry too much about the other things. And again, I think a car carnivore diet is a really good way to do that. Um, as always, um, anybody can book a free consultation with us at mybalancebody.com. You can click on the book, book now button at any time and, and we can always chat or bounce ideas off each other. But that was more or less my presentation about how to become a fat burner. Brilliant. Casey, thank you. I think a few people in the chat just didn't really understand why you were using calories so much, but I was trying to explain in the chat that you, this is what you used to do. And that's how you discovered that it was BS, what, what was you, you were being told. I mean, the thing is, there's no point in rewriting your history because that's not how you think anymore. It's just, it was just to illustrate that you had the scales moved from your eyes because when you started to look at the data, the data didn't say the things that you were expecting. I mean, that's it. So um, a few people just saying, well, we don't talk about calories much, but but you did then, didn't you? And that's how it just, you know, it revealed itself. That's, that's all we were, I was trying to say in the chat. Um, because that's, how, that's where I come from. I was taught all this calorie nonsense and stuff like that. And my brain just didn't see it as, as factual. It was like, well, hang on a minute this doesn't make any sense. We've got 50,000 calories of fat and 2000 calories of glucose. Why does the body use the small amount? Like, you know, when you used your big, um, uh, you know, uh, oil tanker thing. Um, so I just wanted to 
to, to pacify the people in the chat that weren't getting. I didn't think they got the historical thing that that's yeah. how you realized what was going on. And of course, in those days, it was all about calories. So you can't rewrite your documents that you've got that were proving basically burning fat was better and all that sort of stuff. Fair, and fair point. What's yeah. The point of deleting the words. Yeah. There's no point in doing that. So yep. yeah, we talk about calories, but the point is doing that made you realize we should be oxidizing fat. Yep. <laughs> we, you know, and it's, it's changed the way you think, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, That's uh, such a fair I mean, point. And I really appreciate that. I should have been more clear with that in my presentation. That was the first part of everything that I was explaining was the stuff that we'd re like repeatedly fail. It would fail and fail and fail. And I would sit around yeah. and tell my clients they weren't following the advice well enough. They weren't eating enough vegetables. They weren't counting their calories properly. And it would, and nobody, it, it wouldn't work for anybody. And by changing the diet in a different way, that's really unconventional. It pretty much works for everybody. And now like you guys, I get to do something that is not recommended, but change lives through again, something very unconventional and see it work all the time. It's joyous. It's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, thank you for taking that time out. Have you got any comments, Rich? Yeah, I think some of the comments were a little bit harsh there, I'll be honest. I mean, people seem to forget that these presentations are made for people who understand calories, who are not um, as well informed as, as the rest of us in regards to the ketogenic and carnivore community. So, I mean, you know, to take with a pinch of salt, it's, it's one of the only metrics that people understand in regards to energy consumption. We can't, me uh, we can't measure heat um, which is, you know, that's basically what we're measuring and that's what we use is heat, isn't it? Uh, but we can't use heat as, as the metric when we speak into Joe Public in regards to weight loss and weight gain. Uh, fantastic presentation. Uh, zone two training is fantastic for burning fat. Uh, that's where most of 80% uh, of my training comes into in regards to running and riding. Uh, one thing that I'd add to that is that... Um, it takes time to adapt into fat burning. Uh, one of these processes or, or uh, transporters is the monocoboxylate transporters. Um, we can upregulate monocoboxylate uh, uh, transporters through intense exercise. So we can fast track the body's ability to utilize beta hydroxybutyrate for fuel through intense exercise early on. It's not always recommended because people feel lethargic early on and obviously due to um, low sodium concentrations and loss of water, you know, they feel a little bit fatigued. But for those who are supplementing or consuming adequate amounts of protein, um, salts, or even supplementing with things like exogenous ketones, we can burst through that quite early on. There's a way that we can upregulate the MCTs, the monocoboxid transporters, not to be confused with uh, medium chain triglycerides, but we can upregulate these. And once we're through that, then, um, yeah, it, the zone two training is fantastic. Uh, that's where I do most of my training on the bike and 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 the site uh, and the running. Um, love to get you on my podcast because I've recently come away from last May. I retired from professional bodybuilding and now I compete in running and cycling. Uh, I'm trying to prove to the the triathlon community that that um, this is exactly the way forward. And just to reiterate something that you said there, uh, how much time have we got, Steve? Have we? Am I a little bit behind? Uh, have we got? Have we got two well, minutes? Colt, Colt's just come in. I think Colt and Casey know each other. Casey, do you know Colt Milton? I, I from social do media, you know I don't know Milton? that we've ever talked to each other. Oh, well, you carry on, Rich, and I'll I'll get. I'll, 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 I'll smash through this really quickly. So I'm working with uh, another fellow uh, PhD ambassador whose son uh, is a semi-professional uh, cyclist, uh, 22 years old, I believe. Um, now, he's been ketogenic stroke carnivore for maybe six to eight weeks, possibly a bit longer. Um, he recently competed for four hours 
at 368 watts. He was putting up 368 watts on the bike for four. I was at 91% of VO2 max, which just plays into exactly what you said but there into percentages in, in regards to what we can achieve in VO2 max at high, high intensity. So we're told we can't compete and perform at high intensity, but this is exactly what he is doing at higher intensity than he, he has ever achieved before on carbohydrate. The body is an incredible machine. Once you become fat adapted and metabolically flexible, and we upregulate these MCTs, the monocoboxy transporters, we can perform incredible things. And this is what I'm trying to do within the triathlon community in regards to running and cycling. Um, I've only been running and cycling recently, but uh, enough to put this into perspective, my 5K time, uh, and I've been running for a few months only, uh, my 5K time is 18 minutes 45. My half marathon is about one, one and a half hours. Um <laughs> And uh, my um, my FTP on the bike uh, is 259, which works at a 3.6 watts per kilogram. Um, you know, that's not setting the world on fire, but uh, I've literally only been running and cycling for a very short period of time. And I put this, I am not genetically gifted. I put this down to living a ketogenic carnivore lifestyle and, and utilizing this to, to, to my advantage. But fantastic presentation. Um, Thank you, Cody. Uh, yeah, loved, that. You. loved it. Fantastic. Yeah, that's fantastic. Right. So buy and uh, you pass the baton. Uh, you could tag Colt, couldn't you? Wait, this way. This way now. <laughs> it's weird when it's mirrored, right? Oh, it's the other way. This way? The other side. I, yeah, I always forget, yeah. it. I always forget <laughs> if it's mirrored or not. Thank you. Right, oh, so really Colt. Awesome. Cheers, Casey. Like well appreciated, man. So that was my appearance on the Carnivore-a-thon 24-hour live stream with Stephen Thomas and Richard Smith. And now we'll go over to my appearance on the Carnivore Muscle YouTube channel with Jonathan Griffiths. Hello, guys. I'm joined today with Casey Ruff from Boundless Body Radio. I had the pleasure of being on his channel quite a few months back now, so I thought I'd return the favor and extrapolate some of his um, delightful information. So you have a large platform where you interview different people, lots of different experts about health, nutrition, fitness. Um, so where did all that stem from? Where did it sort of derive from? Oh man, that's a great question. So when I look back, I, I feel very lucky that we've been able to grow our program as much as we have. Um, I, I started personal training back in 2007 and got really interested in metabolism and the ways that humans use our calories um, while we're exercising or while we're resting. And I did that for my career for 13 years and then the pandemic hit. And so we lost our jobs at the big corporate gym that we were at. And so my wife and I decided that we would start our own business, which we call Balanced Body LLC. Um, and that was basically so we could continue training the people that we were already training before and working with people on nutrition. And Podcasts were always so special to me because that's how I learned about all kinds of things, low carbohydrate, fasting, carnivore diets, that kind of thing. And I just decided that it would be important for me to start a podcast. I would say that I had a lot of maybe like imposter syndrome where I thought like, okay, there's so many other really great programs out there. What am I going to contribute that somebody isn't already doing really quite well? How am I going to get the same guests and all that kind of thing? But, you know, it was October of 2020 that we decided to launch Balanced Body Radio. Um, my wife and I kind of started it together and I us doing like a co-host kind of a thing, but she just is too busy with her own business to be able to do it. So it kind of became my baby. And you know, you know what it's like, you just 
you start something, you do some reps, you keep going and keep going and keep going. And before long, you've created something really special. And now we've released over 500 episodes. We make releases every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Sometimes we do bonus episodes on Saturday or Sunday. And we've talked with the most amazing people all around the world, like yourself, like Nina Teichels, like Gary Tobbs, like the, the Fet Keys, like so many amazing people that we've been able to host and, and to see that get out into the world and grow and hopefully change some lives out there is absolutely amazing and wonderful. And I never would have imagined it would have grown to the extent that it's now. I completely appreciate that. It's, um, it's certainly a passion project for people like us. And I don't interview that many people anymore, but some of the people that you have on your channel and on your podcast are amazing speakers. And what's also important is you ask the right questions. You know, a person can only deliver as much information as um, what is derived from the, the question itself. So part of being a good interviewee is being a good interviewer, I think terms of the information well i i agree and thank you um it's something i always try to work on and i've gotten better over time i think just personal training helps you to understand how to listen to people and ask interesting questions because you're with these people you know maybe two or three days a week for an hour every single time and you want to be interested in them obviously you're programming for them and counting their reps and deciding what what exercises and rep ranges and things like that but personal trainers are more like therapists for people like we're really good friends and family with these people and we spend so much time with them and so i think it's really nice to be able to um always be working on how to ask questions to elicit an interesting response yeah i get that completely um a bit about your personal fitness journey so I mean, did you have an interesting past before? Like, what are you doing back then? Like, long, long, long ago. And what are you doing now? Like, yeah, doing now, so, what's happened? Like, yeah, absolutely. So I was always kind of interested in fitness um, as a teenager. I was kind of the chubby kid, chubby kid growing up, excuse me. And, I, you know, I played ice hockey. I did cycling later on in my teenage years. Uh, in, in middle school, I, I got the book that had, like, all the different lists. I bought a really inexpensive set of weights that was you know, lifting in my unfinished basement. And with the cycling in particular, I was using heart rate monitors at, as part of my training. And so I got really good at programming heart rate monitors and understanding how heart rate training worked, essentially. And it was one off-season. I was studying architecture in college, and I decided to join this big corporate gym to, to be able to train in and when I joined there, I started observing some of the personal trainers and they were working with their clients in a way that looked really fun and engaging. They were also using heart rate monitors as part of their training. And so when I went into the office to see what certification I needed to get to work there, um, once they brought me on staff, after a few months of me studying and passing this certification, I already knew more about heart rate monitors than anybody else on the staff. And so I was able to quickly kind of help them program the heart rate monitors and help people get like really effective training. And part of what I was trained in was a machine called a metabolic cart, which is a special machine that is like a kind of a box that's attached to a laptop. The box is then attached to an umbilical that goes to a mask that is attached to somebody. And we can do assessments, whether they're resting or whether they are doing something like a VO2 max test, where they're ramping themselves up either on a treadmill or a bike. Maybe they're running faster until they quit. And the breathing is really interesting because it tells you how many calories you're burning as you're doing different things. And so we can measure your resting metabolic rate. We can understand how many calories you're burning at certain heart rate ranges. But more more than that, these assessments were able to tell us based on the oxygen and carbon dioxide that somebody was exchanging, we could tell you not only how many calories you were burning, which is somewhat important, but we could also tell you how much fat versus how much carbohydrate 
you were burning. And that was really important. And we didn't really understand the power of manipulating that over time. I, I did learn how to do that. And basically by shifting somebody's diet, you could help them burn increased amount of fat and decrease the amount of carbohydrates that they burn, which helps with all kinds of things. It helps with fat loss. It helps with cycling and, and in other endurance sports. So it was really wonderful to be able to use these metabolic carts to eventually get me into the low carbohydrate space. Because after telling people for so many years that they needed a certain amount of calories, they needed to eat fruits and vegetables, they needed lots of whole grains. Now we were telling people, based on these assessments, we want you to eat fat, we want you to eat protein, and take the carbohydrates as low as possible. And that would boost not only the number of calories that you would burn, but it would also boost the amount of fat that you would burn. And again, bring down the amount of carbohydrates that somebody would burn. And so again, there were just so many benefits to that. You know, doing what we were doing before, you would have so few people get really great results. Changing what we did and giving people low carbohydrate diets, it was there were so few people that it didn't work for. So it was really a game changer. That's fascinating. Yeah, I can completely appreciate the fact that our energy expenditure, the the food that we give our body, you know, that's going to ultimately affect our performance. Um, now, since, since I imagine you've made a switch from like a high, you know, plant food, whole grain kind of diet to a more high fat based sort of diet, what have you noticed for yourself in terms of like maybe a few markers like um fitness maybe muscle mass anything like that and if you can't really talk much about that what have you noticed with your clients yeah definitely no um i noticed a huge benefit in my life and it was really a progression just like everybody else like learning in 2012 that we could manipulate the diet to change these metabolic rates and increase fat burning was one step reading the big fat surprise in 2016 was another big step i learned that fat is okay Protein is good for you, not necessarily a low-carbohydrate diet at that time, but at least we could eat fat and it's healthy with, with you know, protein. Um, you know, Later on, we were doing weight loss contests, and we were learning that low-carbohydrate diets work for our clients really well, and we just gave people low-carbohydrate meal plans for the meal plans we were giving them as part of the corporate gym. And then I decided to try a carnivore diet in April of 2019. Um, I was finally convinced that I could do it without telling myself, and I just wanted to try it for one month. And yes, I did lose a little bit of fat that I didn't think I had to lose. Um, it was easy for me to maintain muscle. It was really easy for me to have great energy and not have snacks in between clients. I had been low-carb and keto for a very long time at that point, maybe two or three years. And so I'd already experienced a little bit of that benefit. But it really was about two weeks into my carnivore journey when I realized that my anxiety and stress kind of dropped out. And I started to experience this like really unique kind of calmness where things wouldn't bother me as much as they used to. And I'm, I don't have mental disorders or anything, you know, diagnosed, but I definitely have a high amount of anxiety. My brain just kind of tends to spin around and all these things that will never, ever happen. And I just, it dropped out. And so when, when May first started, I decided to continue doing it. And that was four and a half years now. And so I still notice all the same benefits. I'm able to think very clearly. I wake up early after not too much sleep. I sleep really efficiently. I spend every night in a sauna, which really helps my sleep. And I just feel good all day, every day. And it, to contrast, like what I'm going to do after this appointment, I'm going to go on a bike ride. I'm not even going to bring a water bottle. I'm going to be fasted. I don't know how long I'm going to go, maybe hour, hour and a half. It's just not a question of whether I have to be like eating or snacking or doing something before or during being on the bike. You just grab your bike and go. To contrast that with what I was doing before 10 years ago, where you have to eat all the oatmeal and the bananas and like all the sports products and all the stuff you know you had to consume while you're doing bodybuilding in the conventional way. To not have to do that now is amazing. I completely understand that. Yeah. I mean, 
I'm not quite yet where you're at right now just because I have to eat so much food. But I imagine for like the average person or average sort of gym goer, you know, the fitness sort of professionals out there, they really don't have to overthink it anymore. Like you just said, you know, just have a sip of water now. Okay, you might not drink again for another hour or two, maybe three hours. But I have the same experience. I don't drink nearly as much. There's a lot less thought process that goes on, which is bizarre, you know, because you hear all these like dietary guidelines, you know, six to eight cups of water a day, five a day, you know, limit your red meat intake. But that doesn't hold true to what we seem to find most beneficial to us as um, athletic kind of people. Um, now, I've, I've got a question. Input reduces. Yeah, completely. Um, I've got the question here about different dietary approaches. Um, now, imagine like myself, you've probably been through maybe like keto, paleo, carnival, all the, all the different things. Um, what would you say was like a fair way to kind of level up and what percentage benefit does each level give? So if it was, say, paleo, some more like whole food based, would you say that's giving you 50% benefit or is it, you know, carnivore all the way? Do Will you re-ask the question? Will you re-ask the question? It's just time. Sure, yeah. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, most of us have all tried like paleo, keto and carnivore sort of diets. Um, what kind of percentage difference would you say each of those made? Assuming carnivore is like your optimal diet, I imagine. That's a great question. I don't think I've ever thought about it in that context. I guess the normal progression for most of us is you start with the standard American diet, which we shared with everybody around the world. So you're welcome, Jonathan, in the UK. Um, and you feel terrible, right? And so you want to do something. So maybe you try vegetarian or vegan or paleo, and you start to feel maybe just a little bit better. So maybe that's like the jump from, I don't know, you feel terrible to maybe you feel like 50%. It's definitely something you're feeling better, you feel more full, better energy. And maybe you discover low carbohydrate and eventually keto. And that's a that's a good step. Maybe that's another like... 20%, like, wow, I'm able to lose weight. My mental clarity's there. I'm eating fat bombs and I, you know, I'm adding a little bit of butter to my, my coffee and things like that. And I think that's fine. It, it is a significant jump from low carbohydrate to carnivore for me. I think that's where all the weird things happen that you don't expect. Like, yeah, maybe people lost some weight on keto, but they lose the rest of the weight on carnivore. They, they, like like Stephen Thomas talks about, like he didn't, he always used to have athlete's foot. He doesn't have athlete's foot anymore. My shoulder used to always hurt poke checking in hockey. That has not happened in four and a half years since being carnivore. Um, my my skin is perfectly tan. Like, dude, I'm a ginger. I used to burn in the moonlight. Now, like I spend all day, every day outside with zero, um, any kind of like sunscreen. And I feel amazing. All of these weird things start to change when you optimize. And I just often reflect on the fact that when we changed our diets and had recommendations back in the 1950s and 1960s, and we told people the fat and cholesterol was bad, we were only really doing that for one reason, which was for heart attacks. Middle-aged men started dying of heart attacks out of nowhere. So we came up with this idea that if we lowered the fat and lowered the cholesterol, then we'd solve this problem of heart attacks. And look what's happened 60 years later. We didn't even solve the one problem that we were trying to fix. And now we have myriad other problems like obesity and diabetes and all these other crazy things that we did not have back then when we were only trying to fix that one thing. Carnivore is like the opposite of all of that. There is one species appropriate diet. And if you eat that diet, everything will optimize. You'll think better. Your sexual function will be better. You'll be able to add muscle. You can burn off fat and all the weird little health niggles that everybody complains about when they get dad bod or they're aging and all that stuff. Like, that just seems to magically like go away. It's really an incredible lifestyle and it really is a species appropriate diet. I truly believe that. 
I've had the same experience myself. Um, this kind of brings to our next question, which is, I'll give you a moment to think about this one because it's quite a tricky one to answer in a very simple sort of way. But if you had someone just come off the street to you on a standard Western diet, like an average office worker, say, and they said, hey, Casey, um, I want to improve my diet. What, what would I do? Um, then contrast to that, what fitness might they do? So perhaps if you had to give people one set, like one simple answer, you know, I would do this and I would do this exercise, what, what would it be? Yeah, I don't have to think about that at all. The first thing I would say is move towards eating more animal proteins. Start with that. Get more animal products in your diet, more, more of the protein and the fat together the way nature made it for us. Move in that direction and see what happens. If you start to feel better, then start to eliminate some of the plants and see how that goes. As far as movement goes, there's two things I really recommend. The first thing is just to move. Find whatever way to move that you really enjoy, whether that's walking, riding a bike, paddleboarding, whatever you like that you can do at a low level and just go do it. Do it as much as you possibly can. Find ways to be creative and do it more in your day. So like if you have a meeting that you're taking a call, take the call outside, go on a little walk around the neighborhood. Like you, there's so many opportunities that we have to include more movement in our days. So that would be the first thing. The second thing would be strength training. I really, really, really want people to do some form of resistance training. And I believe it's really important that people get very close to what most people call like muscle failure, like pushing yourself to an intensity where you can't really do like a perfect rep anymore and, and stopping there. You can move slowly. You can use machines. There's so many different ways that you can do it. Uh, you can use a gym or you can buy bands on Amazon for $30. You can use stuff around your house. Like there's ways for you to move against resistance. And I think it's the best thing that you can do. But I think especially if somebody at least has like a beginner level of, of doing these types of workouts over time, I want them to push closer and closer to like muscle, muscle failure, basically. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. I'm in complete agreement. You know, it's all about phasing in the stuff that we know works. Um, now I've got a slightly different question here. Um, people are often demotivated when they sort of start on their fitness journey, their health journey. They sort of maybe they don't see much results. They're not got the weight loss they're hoping for. Maybe they're not getting stronger. Maybe they're not improving their top lap times or something. Um, what kind of key advice would you give to them, like to stay motivated? Is there any kind of tips you'd give them? Great question. I think it depends on what the person's goals are and what you're using to measure the way that you're getting to those goals. So I think for most people, they're really fo fixated on the scale, which especially with a carnivore diet is not going to tell you that much. A carnivore diet is a healing diet and you are eating the most healing amazing foods you can possibly get and your body's going to be rebuilding itself. You may gain a tremendous amount of weight in the beginning. You might gain 10, 15, 20 pounds as your body's healing, building up its bones and the connective tissue and the muscle mass and all that stuff. So I think a scale is a poor indicator of whether somebody's going to get to their health goals doing a low carbohydrate, ketogenic or carnivore diet. I think using something like a string around the midsection or taking some very simple pictures from the front, from the side, from the back, I don't share them with anybody, but at least take some pictures in the beginning of your journey because that can be more motivating to see like, oh, wow, the scale didn't change or maybe it even went up. But when I'm comparing where I was two weeks ago, four weeks ago, three months ago, whatever it is to where you are now, you're going to see a vast different and difference. And so I just... I think it depends on what somebody's goals are. I think a lot of times we set the wrong metrics that don't necessarily get us to our goals. And so we as coaches should be really thoughtful about the ways that we're validating how our clients are doing. And it's also 
up to us to really convince people that they need to be patient. If they're not there yet, remind them that it took them a long time to get them to where they are today. And so it's going to take a while. And it's not really about a finish line. It's not about this event or getting to this weight. Like there's there's never an end. We're always on this journey. And just to have that mindset and just say like, look, I'm just going to chip away at this every single day and be really consistent. I think people can get tremendous results that way. Yeah, I completely agree. Would it be fair to say that Sometimes online we'll see different programs advertised as like, oh, gain an inch in your arms in a month or, you know, lose 20 pounds by eating this one food. Um, would they be examples of people that you might try to stay clear of? And in contrast to that, are there any sort of people besides maybe myself and a few others um, that you'd sort of gravitate towards for solid advice around you know, fitness, body composition, stuff like that? Yeah, that's another really good question. I generally try to steer clear of social media kind of influencers. Nothing wrong with them. But if you're creating cookie cutter programs that promise a big result in a short amount of time, that's really kind of snake oil to me. I, I That really repels me, I guess. Um, I think the best coaches ask a lot of questions, offer intakes. They listen to people. They really seek to get to the root cause of issues and really help the their goals are right? the trainer that I know that it always seems like he's putting his clients through whatever he himself is doing at the time, whatever his clients' goals are. That can be very frustrating because they feel like they're not like listened to. And so, yeah, I like to find the coaches that questions and design individualized programs. As a trainer who's been in this business for a long time, I'm thinking of ways that I can try to make something that I could, you know, monetize that as adds like a tremendous amount of value to people that I can feel really good about. I haven't gotten there yet. I don't know how to do that. And so I don't know what that's going to look like, um, if anything. And so I, I, I do choose, I try to choose the coaches that are more mindful, they listen and really try to individualize programs for people. Yes, completely. Um, it's always tough when the market is so densely populated with lots of different people. Um, and what I often see nowadays is people will charge extraordinary amounts for something which is very generic and cookie cutter, like you mentioned. And I kind of look at that and think, well, yes, yeah, um, you know, person X has a, a big following, a lot of Instagram followers, whatever it is. But it doesn't necessarily mean that what they're giving you is the most useful and beneficial for you. So I think emphasizing like appropriate goal setting and kind of showing people this is what you need to do. And I think a lot of programs aren't necessarily built around a set guideline or plan itself, but it's all about the principles that underpin them. So like you said earlier about like, um, you know, getting your steps in, doing some movement, doing effective training, going close to failure, stuff like that. I think they're all quite sound sort of methodologies. Um, now, how does your kind of training look like now, Casey? What, what do you do? And what are your goals to kind of go around that? Well, yeah, that's a really good point. And my current goals really, I'm not sure, I'm not training for anything specific. Uh, so I'm just trying to maintain for now. I'll lift maybe once or twice a week. My lifting sessions are really no more than about 15 to 20 minutes. If I was trying to add muscle, I would probably be training a lot more than that. But I'm just trying to maintain at this point. And so whether that's going into my community center down the road or whether that's grabbing some bands and just going to a park and throwing them around a jum jungle gym or something and doing some rows and chest presses or whatever, that I'll kind of do that. Everything else is movement. And so I seek to get about 20,000 steps a day. And when I'm out walking, I try to do some business 
business. I try to do my calls. I, you know, I'm preparing for a podcast that I'm doing. Um, so, so that would be a big thing. And then other things are just the activities that I love to do. Like I love to paddleboard at Lake by my house. I like to cycle. Like I mentioned, I love playing ice hockey still to this day. So I like to mix those up as well. In general, just trying to be outside as much as possible and active as much as I like has, has been a great kind of pair to a carnivore diet that allows me to have all of that energy to be able to do that and be able to do whatever I like basically every day. I like that. Yeah. As like a fellow online coach, if it were, um, I do notice that a lot of people are like glued to the phones and they're doing everything indoors. And I think sometimes I might just do a workout. I mean, I have quite a few gyms I can access, but I'll do a workout sometimes with my body weight outside grounded on the grass. And I quite enjoy that. And um, it might take me 20 minutes or something, but it's it's plenty good enough, you know? So it kind of says, if I can do it and you can do it, Casey, why can't anyone else? Um, now on that note, if there was like kind of a, a guideline of a few exercises you might recommend to someone, so they've got no equipment, no bands, they've got basically a house, a wall and a flat surface basically to stand on maybe, what, what would you recommend to them as like a little, little program? Perhaps they're an office worker or something, you know? Yeah, that is a good question. That could be a little bit challenging because some of my favorite moves, you might need to have something. Um, mm. I guess I would recommend like a dead movement. You would need to have something to kind of pick up and you would want to make sure that you're doing that movement really safely. Um, you could do a squat. You could do a squat for body weight. Um, the software program that I have that I got during the pandemic that allows me to program workouts for people based on the equipment that they have available. I can even filter it down to water bottles. And so people can fill up water bottles and maybe like a shoulder press or a chest press or something just really simple. I want people to prioritize the compound lifts and the, the lifts that strengthen the center part of the body. Those are the ones that are going to give you the biggest bang for the buck. We have the most muscle tissue in that areas. So pushing in the lower body, like a squat, pulling in the lower body, like a deadlift, a chest press, a row, I think is super, super important. If you, people could find a way to do that. So it's those types of movements that I like to recommend. We can be really creative with people if they don't have a full gym. I will say though, like literally the hands that I got from Amazon was $30. You can do everything with that. And I would really encourage people to at least think about purchasing some bands and maybe like something that can go in the door to anchor those down. You can get all of that for less than 40 bucks. I mean, that's pretty inexpensive. So there are things that you can do a few tools will expand your library by, by so many different exercises. I would encourage people to think about that as well. I completely agree. Yeah. Part of it is education as well. Um, like you said about the, the sort of the key compound movements, you just have to watch people that train. Um, there are some people online that do actually put out quite good training footage. You can look at that, look at the form, the instructions usually quite useful. Um, it's funny you mentioned about like lockdowns and things and, I remember going back in time a bit a few years ago, I was doing exactly what you're saying with like giant gallon jugs of like soap or whatever, but I was just filling it up with water and sand and stuff. Um, was there any sort of funny things you did back then to sort of get around perhaps if you didn't have a gym maybe? Oh man. I mean, it was just so bizarre to be working in a large corporate gym that had access to everything. The place was huge. So all of a sudden we're working with clients. I worked with clients on the banister of their stairs outside on trees. Like we were lucky that we had some portable equipment in the beginning. And so we were able to leverage that. And so even just hanging up like a TRX band and getting really creative with that, or, you know, we did have a few of those resistance bands that we could hook up to different apparatus, but yeah, the, the number of trees and parks and, and again, banisters of stairs that I've trained people on is a little bit weird. Um, and even to this day, there's so many people that, could go back to the gym, but they now have created with whatever equipment they have, 
a, a pretty nice setup that has enough equipment for them. And we just work with that. And it's, you know, a little bit limiting as far as the ex- exercise you can do, but it's not limiting as far as the results you can get. You can get amazing results by doing those fundamental lifts in whatever way that somebody can with whatever equipment they have. So yeah, I personally, we had a little bit of equipment enough to keep me interested during the pandemic, but it was more with a client that became like really kind of weird and interesting. And like the number of my clients, cats and dogs, like I, I learned and met and all that stuff and still know to this day is kind of funny. Yeah, I like that. My my partner, Sophie, she's um she's a mother of two little one little ones. So not sort of little ones you can just leave off on their own sort of thing. And um yeah, she actually recently sold her Smith machine set up and most of her weights now she just works out in the living room with the girls sat there you know watching her taking part sometimes and it it works you know she doesn't have equipment she has maybe some bands and a set of dumbbells but like you said 30 40 dollars you set pretty much you don't need this extra stuff is you know all this extra stuff guys i think it really only comes down to needing it or in necessity when you're a, a you know sort of a top bodybuilder trying to build a lot more muscle then you might have to add some some intensity and some load in that kind of sense but Brilliant. Um, so where can people find you, Casey, if you want to be found? Yeah, absolutely. Always want to be found. Always fun to chat with people all over the world. So the best place to find us is myboundlessbody.com. That's our website that has access to all of our social media. A podca- The podcast will be there so people can click on that and see um, all the different episodes that we've done, including the one with you. Um, that's where they can link up our YouTube, our, our Facebook, and all that other stuff. I, I very rarely write a blog. I'm very inconsistent with it, but they can find that there too. More than anything though, the first thing that people will see when they go to our website is a book now button where people can click and schedule a complimentary 30 minute session with us at any time. And we would love to just chat with people all over the place so we can talk to them about diet or workouts or anything they like, even if it's just to introduce themselves. It's fun to meet people, like I said. So again, that is uh, myboundlessbody.com. Perfect. Thanks very much. I'll link those below in the show notes. And um appreciate the time. That's been action-packed. Come on, guys. 30 minutes, all that information. You got your money's worth there. <laughs> I talk fast. I talk way too fast. Brilliant. Cheers, Casey. So I really hope you enjoyed that bonus content of my appearance on the Carnivorathon and also on Jonathan Griffith's YouTube. Big thank you to Stephen Thomas and Richard Smith for hosting the 24-hour live stream. And big thank you to Jonathan Griffiths for hosting me on his show. Like I said in the introduction, be sure to go check out all of their individual stories on the episodes that we've hosted them on on Boundless Body Radio. They all have really fantastic stories and and great tips and tricks for people out there. Um, As always, like I said in the introduction, please leave us a rating and review on Apple. We really appreciate it. It helps the podcast get out to more people. And thank you, as always, for listening to Boundless Body Radio. Thank you.